Welcome to Forgotten Sitcoms. This week we are looking at 1985's Rollover Beethoven. We spent a bit of time recently on the British Sitcom History Podcast looking at Filthy Rich and Cat Flap and looking at Bottom. And like those two, this has a young one in it. But Rollover Beethoven is very different to those other two things. It's a lot more mainstream. In fact, Rollover Beethoven has got absolutely nothing in common with the young ones except the presence of Nigel Planer. And to be honest, even that doesn't last. Rollover Beethoven was written by Lawrence Marks and Maurice Gran. Marks and Gran, they've written some of the biggest sitcoms of the 90s. Birds of a Feather, Goodnight Sweetheart, and notable for another young one, The New Statesman. But this was an early TV project for them. What they'd done before this sitcom-wise was Holding the Fort. Uh, that starred Patricia Hodge. She was an army officer and Peter Davidson was her house husband. And that was a premise that was uh, novelty enough to provoke much hilarity in 1980. That had gone for three series. The next project that Marks and Gran worked on was this, Rollover Beethoven. Now, the first thing I need to address before I get into the detail here is the really peculiar way that this was produced. The two series were produced separately. There was a different director. There's even a different look. The costumes and the sets are subtly changed between series one and two. But they were broadcast with just a one-week gap between them. So I don't really get this. They must have made the first series, then commissioned and made a second series before they'd even broadcast the first, and then they just stuck them out together. Why? And it's even more weird when we actually look at the two series because they're completely different. Their tone is different, their content is different, even the cast is different, but I'll get to that. In fact, what I'm going to do, I'm going to treat this video as a review of series one, which I quite enjoyed. And then I'll tell you, in my opinion, what went wrong with series two. So let me set this up for you. Belinda Purcell is a mild-mannered piano teacher. She lives with her father, Oliver, and she's very much under his roof and under his thumb. Oliver is ultra-conservative with a small C. Although, having said that, there's an episode later on where we find out he's a large C conservative as well. Into this mix comes Nigel Cochran. Nigel Cochran is a rich rock star. Uh, used to be a member of the band Graf Spey. Nigel has bought the Grange, which is the big house near the village. And, of course, Oliver is absolutely disgusted at this. And he writes a letter to the Times. The, the whole place has gone to the dogs. His disgust is then amplified when Cochrane approaches Belinda for some piano lessons. Yes, he's a professional musician, but you see, he plays bass, it is explained, and so he needs to learn how to play the piano. From their first meeting, there's a clear chemistry between Belinda and Nigel, and a romance forms, much to Oliver's disgust, and he tries to undermine this wherever he can. Series 1 is basically the story of that romance, and it culminates with the conclusion of this will-they-won't-they they drama. They will. They do. They did. Let's have a little look at the cast here. And Nigel Planer is obviously the name that I was attracted to. This came very shortly after The Young Ones. And you have to wonder, how did Nigel Planer get this gig? Obviously, he was most famous at this point as Neil. But perhaps a more relevant role was the character he played in the comic strip Presents Bad News on Tour, where he played a bass player in a heavy metal band. I don't know if that's how he was cast, but honestly, the two characters couldn't be more different, apart from the fact that they played bass. Is it reasonable to say that Nigel Planer was perhaps more of an actor than Rick Mail and Adrian Edmondson? That's probably a little bit simplistic because Nigel Planer was doing stand-up comedy at the Comedy Store at the same time as all the others. And of course, he got back together with Mail and Edmondson for Filthy Rich and Catflap not long after this. But if you look at his career after this, then Planer certainly does appear to be a more versatile actor than the other two. Nigel Cochran is an interesting character. There's really not a lot of rock and roll swagger here. Quite the opposite, in fact. We never really get the full detail on this, but there seems to be a sort of agoraphobia at play here with Nigel. We're told he's unable to cope with the real world. He's a recluse, and he's kind of hiding out in this big house. 
In episode four, his American ex-wife turns up. She's very aggressive and basically he goes to pieces. He really can't handle the pressure and the scrutiny that she brings. In that episode, he's completely infantilized. Belinda is the one that sees off his ex-wife, not him. What you have to understand is that Nigel can't think straight because he's afraid of you. And you can't think straight because that is the sort of woman you are. Yes, yeah, the drugs. Quiet, Nigel. And for some reason, you seem to assume that an English divorce court throws people's money around the way that I've read that they do in America. Yeah, that's why I couldn't afford the damper over there, you see. <laughs> Sit down, Nigel. I'd love to know more about this. What's going on here? It's never really explored. And in series two, it's completely forgotten because he goes back on tour and the whole idea of this agoraphobia is just forgotten about. He's actually a really interesting character. Yeah, he's a rock star and he's a bit rough around the edges, but he's vulnerable and he's likeable. And despite what Oliver thinks of him, he's a nice guy. Planer does a really good job of portraying this character. And Nigel Planer's gone on to a long career, comedic and dramatic roles. There are probably not that many things where he was number one on the call sheet, but he's had a really great career of supporting roles. His biggest successes may well have come on the West End stage, where he's carved out a career, appearing in some of the biggest musicals of the last 30 years. Opposite planer is Lisa Goddard, and to be honest, Rollover Beethoven is not a Nigel Planer vehicle, it's a Lisa Goddard vehicle. She was the bigger mainstream star at the time. Although she was born and raised in the home counties, Goddard's family moved to Australia when she was a kid. If you don't believe me, then look at her TV debut. Skippy the Bush Kangaroo. She came back to the UK and she made several TV appearances before she landed a starring role in her first sitcom, Yes Honestly, in 1976. That ran for two series on ITV and it followed the relationship between Goddard's character and Donald Donnelly. Yeah, that's his real name. It's two series that follow them from their first meeting to their marriage. After that, she was in the 1980 Chesney and Wolfe sitcom Watch This Space, which was about an advertising firm... She starred in that alongside Christopher Biggins and Britcom pod favourite Peter Blake. Next, there were three series of Pig in the Middle with Dinsdale Landon and Joanna Van Gissigam, another favourite of ours. It's easy to look back now and think of Nigel Planer as the big name. He was in The Young Ones. But really, it's Goddard that was carrying this project. And she definitely is the star of the show. In series one, she enjoys a lot more screen time than Planer. And a great deal more in series two. Well, I'll get back to that. The character Belinda... She turns vulnerable and naive, but also steely and independent, independent of both her dad and of Nigel. And we see real growth throughout the show. She has an arc, but, but it, does, it is a bit ad hoc. She sort of vacillates between loyalty to her dad, her desire to create this new life with Nigel. And she does jump around a little bit, which is frustrating. But I guess that's how real life works. Goddard was a real star of the 80s. And after this, Probably her most famous television role was that of Team Captain in Give Us a Clue, that, which she did for many years. She also continued to work in sitcoms, including a starring role in That's Love. She also had a recurring role as a jewel thief in Bergerac, which is not a sitcom, but she certainly played that with a twinkle in her eye. Our third character is Belinda's cantankerous father, Oliver, played by Richard Vernon. He kind of sits somewhere between the harumphing major in Faulty Towers and the overbearing Phyllis Lumsden in Sorry. I'd describe him as conservative, and yes, he hates any change, he hates anything new. Good grief, there's a foreign body in my tea. Ah, that's what's known in a train as a tea bag. A tea bag? I've read about such things, and I thought they always happened to other people. What an abomination. Waitress! Oh, Daddy, don't make a fuss. Belinda, when the fabric of life itself is threatened, one must take action. But more specifically than that, he hates the idea of his daughter leaving him. He's genuinely physically frail, and you can see that he's afraid he'll be abandoned. Vernon was actually only 60 when playing this character. The, the character's supposed to be 70, and he's quite physically frail. We see him in a wheelchair a lot of the time. Although in series two, he appears to be a lot more sprightly. 
He'd spent most of his career playing serious roles, but he played a sort of version of Oliver Purcell in the Beatles film Hard Day's Night. Probably his most notable sitcom appearances were in Yes Minister and Wendy Craig's Nanny. But if you're a geek like me in his 40s, you'll definitely know his face as Slarty Bartfast from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. This relationship between Oliver and Belinda, there's an obvious comparison to be made here. Now, if you're a regular listener to the British Sitcom History Podcast, you'll know that I managed to compare just about everything to Steptoe and Son. And there's maybe a comparison to be made here between, between Harold and Albert. But actually, the comparison I really want to make here is with Sorry. When we talked about Sorry in our review, we said that they got the balance wrong and that Phyllis was just too malevolent. She was, she was evil. She wasn't an overprotective mother. She was a, an abuser. I think Oliver is similarly selfish, but there's kind of a little bit of good reason behind that. He doesn't want to be abandoned. And there is some element of him being protective of his daughter. Nigel Cochran is a rock star. His daughter's very sheltered. You can kind of understand his position. However, as time passes and we get to know Nigel and it becomes evident that he is a nice guy, then Oliver's position becomes a lot less reasonable. When you compare Rollover Beethoven to Sorry, it's not as funny. It's not as played for laughs. And I think that makes a difference. That's perhaps why it doesn't feel quite as brutal. The relationship is, is real. It's, it's human. Control yourself. Remember whose daughter you are. Oh, how can I forget every waking minute of every bloody day I'm made to remember whose daughter I am? I'm nearly 32. 33. And everywhere I'm still Mr. Purcell's Belinda. As though I didn't exist on my own. This little house and this little village, they're like a prison sometimes. That's why I felt so different with Nigel. He isn't hemmed in by parish boundaries. The world is his oyster. I thought perhaps he'd show me that world. That he saw me as an individual in my own right. Timothy Lumsden would talk back to his mother, but she wouldn't listen. In Rollover Beethoven, Belinda is able to voice her frustration. In episode four, if you haven't quite grasped the comparison, then he'd give you a nice kick in the shin. Upset, I'm bloody furious. Trench language, Belinda. Oh, there is a fourth member of the cast. Desmond McNamara plays Lem. Lem is Nigel's long-standing roadie, friend, general dog's body. Desmond McNamara is one of those faces, a familiar face. You know, he was in that thing. He appeared in a couple of episodes of Birds of a Feather after this. He was in the Christmas Crackers episode of Only Fools and Horses. You know his face. Lem will do anything for Nigel, but, but he is basically a bit of a creep. Everything that Oliver fears about Rockstar Nigel is apparent in Lem. And most of the time he's just a bit of a harmless hedonist, just trying to have a good time. But then he'll throw in a line like this. I think I'll put down a village. Girl school's having that little back show. <laughs> yeah, it was a different time. An odd thing happens in series two where Lem starts to work for Oliver and they sort of become friends, which is completely unbelievable. I suppose you might say that Oliver doesn't see Lem as as much of a threat because he's not chasing his daughter. But I think that's generous. Really, I just think it's bad writing. In fact, I tell you what, I'll come back to series two in a minute. Let me conclude on series one. The emotional heart of the series is this romance, this, the growth of this relationship between Nigel and Belinda. It's charming, it's pitched really well. I was emotionally invested. The flip side of that is the conflict between Nigel and Oliver. And again, that is pitched about right. They try to undermine and sabotage each other, but it never really gets nasty. I think I've used the word charming several times, and that's a good word. I was charmed, but I'm not sure I ever laughed out loud. It's not really funny, but I enjoyed being in its presence. At the moment, all the episodes are on YouTube. They're on Lisa Goddard's page. I'm not sure if that's actually Lisa Goddard or not. It might be, I suppose. But nevertheless, if you search for her or for Rollover Beethoven, you'll find all the episodes there. I think it's worth your time. I would definitely recommend you have a look at series one. 
Oh, another thing before I finish up on Series 1. There is music. Now, I've got to be honest with you, I'm not a musicals fan. This is not a musical. That's probably too much. But there are musical breaks that, for me, last way too long. Tells me she loves me. She won't let me go. Kiss me in public. But everyone knows she's been working out with the boys again. Working out with the boys. She will tell you lies, but she's organized with the boys. All right. Seeing as I've moved into things that I don't like about it, let's have a look at series two. Series 2 completely loses its charm. It completely loses its way. And the major reason for that is that Nigel Planer is not in it anymore. Well, well, he is, and then he's not. In the second episode, there's a concocted problem about a tax bill, and the rest of the band, Graf Spey, turn up, and they're forced to go out on tour to raise some money to pay these tax bills off. And all the way through that episode, I was wondering, how's he going to get out of this and stay with Belinda? And he doesn't. He just disappears. He goes on tour, and that's it. We never see him again. Why? Was Nigel Planer doing something else? I, I don't know. I, it's inconceivable to me that this was plan A. It's clumsy, it's clunky. It completely blows the heart of the whole thing. Everything that happens next just smacks of really hasty rewrites. To replace Nigel, Belinda is clumsily paired up with a new writing partner, a guy called Marvin Fertelman, that she just completely coincidentally meets playing piano in a hotel bar. Ridiculous as this is, I suppose I ought to talk to you about the new cast member. Marvin is played by Emlyn Price. He was an actor who'd previously appeared in a sitcom called The Cabbage Patch. If you do know Emlyn Price, you probably know him from Surgical Spirit. He played a supporting role in that for several series, but that came after Roll Over Beethoven. Before I play you a couple of clips here, I want to stress here that Emlyn Price is British. He's very British. And that's really important because it emerges, this character, Marvin Fertelman, he's supposed to be American. His American accent is disastrous. It is calamitous. The problem was nobody'd ever let me in their gang, so eventually I had to start my own. We were called the Blintzes. <laughs> was it a big gang? Well, I started out with five of us, but one of them caught my cold. Another one had to be home by seven. <laughs> uh, two of them were pacifists, and whenever we got into a fight, they used to act as my stretcher bearers. It was only the second episode that he appeared in that I realised it was actually way worse than I thought. It's not just that he's doing a bad American accent. He's doing a Woody Allen. He's doing a bad Woody Allen impression. I only got this because he refers to himself as a neurotic Jewish New Yorker, which is basically the equivalent of him saying, huh, I wonder what Woody Allen might say about this. Okay, so we have to suspend our disbelief that they couldn't afford an American actor. Back to the plot. We have a really uncomfortable bit of relationship building here that's really rushed through it, which again makes me think this is a rewrite and this was originally supposed to be Nigel. The problem here is that what drove series one was that, that conflict for Belinda between her father and Nigel. That is completely undermined in series two by the, by the fact that Nigel has just cleared off and we've got now got this proxy character who's got zero charm and there's just we just don't believe the relationship between them. The other problem with series two is that Oliver is completely defanged. He's become inexplicably friendly with Lem, which makes no sense. He decides that Belinda earning a few quid in the industry is all right by him. He had these huge principled objections a couple of episodes ago. Now we even see him letting his hair down in the final episode. He's chatting up a couple of young women, much to Utree Lem's delight. It's completely unbelievable, even within the internal logic of this sitcom. Let me mention a couple of guest appearances before we finish up. There's Christopher Ellison, who you probably know from The Bill. He plays Nigel's manager, a real sleaze. In the village, the local shop for local people is kept by a chap who's probably best known for keeping a much bigger shop. Kenneth Waller, who's old Mr. Grace from Are You Being Served. 
or indeed Grandad from Bread, which we covered in an earlier episode. If Series 2 lost its way and lost its charm, there were actually a couple of laughs. In Episode 3, Lem is trying to tell Oliver that he thinks Marvin is gay, and he describes that in the most 1985 way you can possibly imagine. Hello, sailor. Hey, hey. Hello, sailor. Eleven Bob, no, you know, mind your backs. Woo, <laughs> He's cuckoo. No, no. He's arthritic. <laughs> I mentioned that Graf Spey turn up and they all go on tour, taking Nigel with them. In that first episode of Series 2, they practice in the garden and the noise is so much that it washes across the village, sending everyone into chaos. I'm calling this stunt work the worst bike crash ever committed to film. The self-indulgence of Series 2 culminates in the final episode when Belinda is incredibly appearing on top of the pops. She's written a song for Marvin. A demo tape was released with her singing instead of Marvin. It's become a surprise hit. It's released by accident. Something to do with a tax scam. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is, she's on top of the pops now. Oh, incidentally, there's a real soul-crushing appearance here by Dave Lee Travis. Watch this. Watch him using his acting. Oh, and remind yourself, this is far from the worst thing he's ever done. Never mind, kid. It could be worse. You could be on with Motorhead. They play the whole song out as if she's appearing on top of the pops for real. And it's sweet. I guess on paper, this looked like a nice way to wrap up the series. But it's just absurd. I I would remind you that in the narrative of the show, this is the first time Belinda has sung in front of other people. Not not the first time she's sung on telly. Not the first time she's sung on stage. The first time she's ever sung out loud in front of other human beings. On top of the pops. It's a perfect encapsulation of everything that's wrong with Series 2. It's completely implausible. So my advice to you is give Series 1 a look. It's not exactly Beethoven, but it's worth some of your time. But I would definitely recommend that you roll over Series 2.